This is Kraftwerk. This is my hometown, and I just believe this hometown wouldn't have been the same if this team had left here. A look back at 25 years of Patriots ownership. And the Patriots are Super Bowl champions! And the Patriots are world champions again! And a title for the Patriots! We are all Patriots, and tonight the Patriots are world champions. Once again, here's Mark Bertrand. So there were some good years in the seventies. There were was fun. Some yeah. good. There was a good year or two in the eighties. So at what point did you think I might want to own this thing someday? Oh, I started dreaming about it in the seventies. Robert Kraft's path to running the Patriots was a long one. To truly appreciate twenty-five years of Kraft ownership, one must understand just how unstable things were for the franchise in its previous twenty-five years, when nothing seemed to go right. Kraft. Rolls out to his left, looking to pass. Back across his body. He fires intercepted by Jake Scott at the 20. Scott is down at the 17-yard line. The pass was intended for Russ Francis. And Scott made the interception, and Miami has it first down at the Patriots' 17-yard line. Most people my age growing up were Giants fans, even when the Patriots were formed. But I think them going into the actual NFL, that was kind of a a seismic moment that, that they were part of the National Football League. Still, they weren't very good, and they're still playing everywhere. You know, I don't know. I remember the Fenway days, and then you had the Harvard Stadium and BU, and they're playing a home game in Alabama and all this. They were, they were such nomads and just uh, not part of the culture. And the Red Sox were starting to be regularly contending. Of course, the Celtics were never out of our, out of our minds because they just went from one championship group to the next. And, you know, Red built two more championship teams in the 70s. And, of course, the 70s were owned by the Bruins. Everybody knows that. Bobby Orr, you couldn't get a ticket. That's what we watched, Channel 38, the whole thing. So the Patriots were number four in a big way the entire time that the Sullivans owned the franchise. Boston Globe columnist Dan Shaughnessy is one of us. He grew up here, and he remembers the good, the bad, and the mostly ugly days when the franchise was owned by the Sullivan family. Former Pat's GM, Pat Sullivan. You know, the first six years of the franchise, we actually had pretty decent teams, and we were pretty competitive in the old AFL, and those games were very exciting, and it was fun to be part of that. And then, you know, we went through a series of losing seasons, uh, 68, 69, 70, and... It was great to actually see this thing sort of slowly come together and, and mesh the way it did in 76. Third down and 18, 19 for Oakland at the Patriots 28. Stabler is back to pass. Here comes the rush again. He gets it away, and it is, it is incomplete at the five-yard line. A penalty marker is down. A penalty what? marker is down. I don't know if the Patriots are going to be called for roughing the passer or what. And Ray Hamilton is throwing his arms oh, in the no. air, roughing the passer. First down, Oakland with 52 seconds left. In true Patriots fashion, Their best team of the first two decades was victimized by that call in a 1976 playoff game against Oakland, snuffing out their best shot at a Super Bowl to that point. A team that featured all-world tight end Russ Francis and future Hall of Famers Mike Haynes and John Hanna, they seemed poised to contend for years, but holdouts by Hanna and linemate Leon Gray submarine the 77 season. One-and-done playoff appearances in 78 and 82 were all they had to show for a group that promised so much more. What it was was not establishing with our players that we had a commitment to win and getting our players, our coaches, and the ownership of the team all understanding that each other had the same objective. You have to have everybody pulling with the same oar. And uh, we didn't. (laughs) 
From the very beginning, the Victory Tour was designed to be the biggest, the richest, and the most expensive concert tour in the history of rock and roll. It was typical patriot boobery, you know, right from the jump. And it dealt a tremendous blow to the Sullivan's ownership of the Pats. Chuck Sullivan's ill-fated turn as a concert promoter proved to be a disaster for everyone involved. This is ABC News Nightline. Reporting from Washington, Ted Koppel. Joining us live now from Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City is Chuck Sullivan, national tour promoter for the Jackson Victory Tour. Are you a bad guy or just a fellow trying to make a buck? I, I don't uh, think I'm a bad guy. What uh, we're trying to present here, Ted, is uh, a series of concerts, and tonight has been so spectacular, it's like a touchdown a minute in the Arrowhead Stadium. The fact that Michael Jackson would intersect with the Patriots and have something to do with the crap stadium and the crap team was was just beyond belief. Still, they rebounded from the Jacksons and shocked the football world a year later. And the Patriots are jumping up and down because it's down under the 30-second mark, and that means it's just going to burn out. That means that the Patriots are indeed the champions of the American Football Conference of the National Football League, opening the door to the Super Bowl in New Orleans, Louisiana, in just two weeks. The surprising run in 85 led Billy Sullivan to alter his course. He had quietly been exploring a sale of the team, and Robert Kraft was all ears. We're in a business... In our basic paper and packaging, you always got to think, how do you differentiate in a commodity kind of business? What do you do to get an edge or do something special? And that's what we started thinking about with the Patriots. And I actually spent time chatting with Billy Sullivan and said to him, if you ever sell the team, you know, I'm a local guy who would love it and keep it in the area and always tried to do everything I could to stay close to the situation. You know, we had a chance to buy it early in the 80s for a lot less money than we eventually paid. But I have a thing, I do something when it feels right. And even, doesn't matter what the number is, if my nose says this thing just doesn't feel right, we don't do it. Walter Payton... Mike Ditka, Hungry Chicago, finally champions on this January day in New Orleans. 46 to 10, the final. Disaster. And then a day later, Ron Borges, God bless him, splashes down with this, <laughs> all the drug infestation in the Patriots household. So it comes out a day later. Now they've got disgrace on top of disgrace because they get humiliated in the game and then the drug stuff comes up. So even in their great moment, they managed to, to be somehow Patriot follies once again. It had always been one step forward, two steps back for the Sullivans. Finally, in 1988, the string ran out and the family business was sold. Into the breach stepped a football neophyte. Hello, I'm Victor Kayam. I used to be a dedicated wet shaver until my wife bought me this Remington M3 electric shaver. I was delighted and impressed. So impressed, I bought the company. In 1988, Kayam's first year in charge, the Patriots went 9-7 before going 12-36 over the next three seasons. As bad as the team was on the field, they were worse off of it. Recently, it was reported that Boston Herald sports reporter Lisa Olson was sexually harassed in the locker room of the New England Patriots. The ensuing brouhaha has pitted newspaper against newspaper and led Patriots owner Victor Kayyem to reportedly declare 
that she was a classic bitch, and I'm quoting. Classic is not a common word that I use in my uh, vocabulary. Even Saturday Night Live piled on. Hello, I'm Victor Kayam, owner of the New England Patriots and Remington Shaver. I'm the guy who bought the company. And I'm proud to announce a new member of the Lady Remington Razor family. Introducing the new classic bitch shaver. Kayam was only too happy to hand over the reins to James Bush Orthwine in March of 1992. I believe strongly that to succeed, a business must be profitable. If an enterprise doesn't make a profit, it's either called a charity or bankrupt. What's in it for me? The satisfaction of... Uh, and the experience, this is, I'm eventually going to end up in St. Louis. I make no bones about that. But, uh, it's a fine experience for me in the meantime, and I uh, feel I'll be doing a whole lot of good by stabilizing the difficult uh, situation here. With one foot in Foxborough and one in Missouri, Orthwine took over. And to his credit, he gave the Pats instant credibility by hiring Bill Parcells as head coach. But the new owner was just a placeholder. As he recalls in an anecdote with Kayam, Robert Kraft was waiting for his chance. I'll never forget, before we bought the team, there was a rain at the stadium. It might have been a preseason game or something, and he was all duded up in a suit and his hair. You know, he used to, he came into our office or something and said, I was sitting in my suite and it leaked and ruined his hair. You know, his hair was all tripping down and it was like okay maybe you should sell us the team then <laughs> next time on Craftwork, it's all about the real estate I bought a team but literally got no revenue yeah, every, everywhere we turned we were popping up <laughs> <laughs>